with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast coming at you live from the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy. Fran, quite honestly, we should have a different intro since we're here in Indy. I'm sorry, I didn't think ahead of that. It's, it's a shame. It's all, it's all we, me. We've only been doing it from here for how many years now? I mean, yeah, come that's on true. Now. So it's the first of our daily podcast. So today it's going to be a review, a recap of from a more Eagle standpoint because we heard from Howie Roseman, the team's executive vice president of football operations, as well as head coach Doug Peterson. So we're going to take a deep dive into what they discussed and then we're going to discuss the news from around the league because a lot of the other coaches and GMs are speaking here at the NFL Scouting Combine. Today is Wednesday, and we'll also get through some uh, some draft gossip, some other stuff that's taken place from uh, an injury standpoint. The weigh-ins took place this morning. So Plenty to talk about. Fran, Fran this, is, this is finally here. It's interesting because typically with draft buzz, you're kind of uh, digging for, for – nuggets to talk about it's like kind of tough to piece things together not the case here starting no, today not the case today so we, we've got a, a ton to cover eagles related draft related league related around the nfc east related it's uh, we've no, got a lot true. to cover yes as well as your questions in our draft mailbag so to kick things off let's get into it in draft buzz now it's time for draft buzz all right so I understand, okay, there's probably a lot of non-Eagles fans who are listening to the podcast saying we don't want all of the Eagles news, but we're doing this on the Philadelphia Eagles channel, so we're going to get through what Howie Roseman and Doug Pearson discussed when meeting the media here at the NFL Scouting Combine, and the biggest news, Fran, is that Nick Foles will become an unrestricted free agent. The Eagles will not use the franchise tag on him. And that puts Nate Sudfeld in position to compete for the number two position. Carson Wentz is your franchise. Nate Sudfeld right now is your number two. He is a restricted free agent, so the Eagles have some ends to take care of there as well. Right now there is no number three quarterback. But uh, your reaction to Harry Roseman saying that after much discussion throughout the offseason, they felt it was the best to give Nick the chance to go become a free agent, that he and Carson Wentz have been two of the top 15 quarterbacks in the league the past two seasons. Nick helped the Eagles win their first Super Bowl championship. It's only right to allow him to have this opportunity to lead another team. No question. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, you know, Like you said, like Howie said, like Doug said, uh, Nick deserves the opportunity to go and, and find his next home and, and find the next place that he wants to start and make it his call. Uh, you know, there's obviously plenty of speculation about where that will be, but uh, time will tell with that. We've got a few weeks before we'll figure that out. Something tells me that it'll happen sooner rather than later once uh, the league year starts. But, you know, I think when, you know, you look at the opportunity for Nick, it makes a lot of sense. If it had made sense for the Eagles to franchise him and try and trade him, that probably, you know, that probably would have been the route that they would have taken. Um, but I think that this, I mean, it's a win-win because uh, you allow Nick to, to go and find an opportunity, um, you know, and we'll see what the Eagles get back next year in terms of a compensatory pick. Exactly. Uh, you know, on the back end of that. But, um, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, I, and I'm excited, too, for, for Nate Sudfeld because uh, he's a guy that I've liked since. I, I remember coming here 
in the uh, the 2016 same, yeah, combine. Same year as Carson. Yeah. yeah, same year as Carson. And I, I like Nate Sudfeld. I thought he would stick uh, in the league as a backup quarterback, and this is his opportunity to prove that he is that, that he can be a primary backup for an NFL team. So that that's really the, the biggest news, okay? Howie Roseman, you know, let that out there, that they will not use a franchise tag on him. So there's nothing else – uh, at least from a breaking news standpoint that came out of today's media availability with Howie and Doug. Yep. It is it should be noted though that this doesn't end the the need to address the quarterback position for the Eagles again because Sudfeld's a restricted free agent and you still need to have someone else whether it's going to be a free agent acquisition a veteran or a draft pick, someone you're going to want to develop there uh, for that number three spot because they're not going to look at that number three spot as a throwaway. They want, like with Sudfeld the last couple of years, the chance to develop that number three quarterback into someone who can step in and play if need be. Yeah, I think ba- think back to the you know the Andy Reid years where you know they always had developmental quarterbacks coming up, and you groom those guys, and then you let them go for for other assets. And I think that that's the you know the the, the process that they want to try and get back to here uh, under Howie Roseman, under Doug Peterson. They want to get back to that process. You know, you're always trying to find quarterbacks. You're always trying to find offensive linemen. You're always trying to find defensive linemen. If you're in the business of doing that. Those are three of the most valuable positions in the NFL. Uh, you know, you're, people are always looking for quality professional linemen and quality professional quarterbacks. So uh, the chances are that, that you're not going to do any wrong by trying to play that strategy. No, not at all. Uh, so the second item I want to bring up from Doug and Howie was the running back position. Yeah. Okay. Because between injuries and performance, the Eagles didn't get as much out of the position overall as they did on the way to the Super Bowl in 2017. So there's a lot of speculation about how the Eagles are going to, to address this position in the offseason. And there were a number of questions about how the Eagles haven't used a high draft pick on the position in many years. So a lot of people think that that's going to be the direction they go early on in the 2019 NFL draft. But Howie Roseman was quick to point out that this team has had success without using high resources resources in the past, specifically bringing up the Super Bowl run where it was LeGarrette Blunt who was added after the draft in free agency. You had Jay Ajayi who was acquired for a mid-round pick at the trade deadline. And Corey Clement who was a rookie free agent. So obviously that was the route for success then. So Howard Roseman just adding that they're not going to force the position just because maybe it's perceived as a need. Yeah, and you look at the the team that we faced in Super Bowl 52, New England Patriots, and they went back and they won it again in Super Bowl 53. Uh, you know, a team that historically has not spent uh, big money, big assets on the running back position. Uh, you look at what until, the LA Rams until this past offseason, they did draft Sony Michelle. They drafted, in the first and round. that's the thing that's, is, I mean, I think when you look at it, it's you don't you don't need to force the issue. Yeah. You don't need to force the issue, and uh, you know. And I think you look even look at the Rams on the other side. I mean, yeah, they drafted Todd Gurley, but who was their horse in the back end of the season and through the playoffs? It was C.J. Anderson, who they got off the scrap heap uh, mid-year. So I, I think that you know, while it look, if you want the run game to be your foundation, if you want, and we've talked about this last year with Saquon Barkley, if you want the run game to be your foundation, uh, then yeah, you you're going to draft a running back. You're going to draft him very high. If you're are a team like the Eagles, or if you're a team, you know, a team that's you know, similar in that way, where maybe it's pass heavy, maybe you're going to rotate, you know, rotate in a handful of guys. Now it's not seen as a, a primary need. Now, 
there's always exceptions to the rule. And if there's a guy that they feel really strongly about that would make a lot of sense and you know fits the culture and all that, now now you're cooking with gas and somebody that would make a lot of sense. And we'll get into those potential players in the coming days. Of course. So, again, this is kind of the Eagles executives spoke today. We're recapping that. Later in the week, it's going to be position previews and reviews here from what's taking place on the turf at Lucas Oil Stadium. The third point I wanted to bring up with Howie and Doug was free agency. And one of the questions Howie was asked was, do you want to get younger on this roster? And because last year's free agency, 2018, it was a lot of veterans like Mike Wallace, Haloti Nada, one-year deals but proven players to try to help get the Eagles over the top once again. So what will the approach be? Will it be using the eight draft picks they have? Okay, they have two compensatory picks on top of the six they already have to try to get a younger roster, maybe a cheaper roster if you're going to look ahead to a Carson Wentz contract extension uh, coming up in the future. But Howard Roseman said, A, the cap won't be an issue. B, that you look at the free agency period of 2016 when you brought in a Rodney McLeod, you brought in Bear. Uh, Brandon Brooks, uh, two-time Pro Bowl selection. You know, these are guys who are coming off their rookie contracts, 26, 27 years old, right in the prime of the, their careers. Those are the guys that you might want to look at from an age perspective where you're adding not just veteran experience but still some upside and room to grow on top of it. I think that there's two, there's two points to this. There's two layers to it. Number one, I think when you look at this, it's a, it's a two-part process because it's not just about the 53-man roster. It's mm-hmm. the 90-man roster. It's that off-season roster. And, you know, when you get to free agency, the free, you know, free agency is obviously it's a month and change before the NFL draft, the crux of free agency. So, you know, you're not – in order to go into the draft without having to draft for need – you have to plug holes in free agency. The Eagles have a lot of upcoming free agents. They're going to have a lot of open roster spots. Lot. So you yes. have to be able to fill those spots by the time you get there, or at least have a plan to fill those spots um, before you get to the draft. So they're going to have to bring in some guys in free agency. I mean, that's that's the nature of it. They've, they've got a lot of guys that are free agents. Um, so whether that's re-signing their own or going out and finding other people, you have to be able to do that before you get to the draft. Um, otherwise, you're forcing your hand on draft weekend, and again, mm-hmm. you don't want to have to do that. So, um, that and but again, that's to get to ninety. Yeah. Ideally, yeah, we're going to get eight draft picks, potentially more, potentially less. You're going to have undrafted free agency. You're hoping you get a couple contributors there. The Eagles have shown the ability to do that over the last few years. And now you get to the summer, and now let's let these ten young guys jump in and see. All right, can they compete? Can they win spots? Are they going to win spots over maybe one year? You know, veterans that you sign in March and April that you know, maybe you signed a one-year deal or two-year deal and now they don't make the team. I think that's what you're looking at is like, okay, that's where when Howie says yes, but that's really what I think he's exactly. talking about. Exactly. No, great point there. So uh, up next here, I uh, wanted to bring up the cornerback position. We talked about quarterback, running back. How about the cornerback position? Because you have your starter from the last two seasons, Ronald Darby, who's coming off an ACL injury, scheduled to become a free agent. Yep. So there's some question about how – how the Eagles are, are going to address the position because you have someone like Avante Max who stepped up in a huge way in the second half of the season. You have Cravon LeBlanc who was claimed off waivers from Detroit and was instrumental, uh, was a huge glue guy for the yep. team down the stretch, uh, had the interception of Drew Brees in the postseason game. What are they going to do with this position? Is there room to add more to the cornerback room? And Harry Roseman was like, look, 
we've invested a lot of resources in this position. I'm sure he's talking about Sidney Jones with the second-round pick. He's talking about Rasul Douglas with a third-round pick. He's talking about the acquisition for, you know, LeBlanc, you know, Jalen Mills in the mix as well there. You need to give these guys a chance to grow and develop. And I think this is to the point, and when you're looking at your roster in the offseason, you have to do some projecting. It's not just projecting from how a player is going to do in going from the college ranks to the NFL. It's projecting how they're going to grow and develop from a year-to-year basis, and you need to allow some of that to happen. Otherwise, you're going to be jumping to conclusions and never allowing those guys a chance to develop. you got to trust your coaching staff, and I think Corey Unlin and Tim Houck have done a great job with that defensive backs room the last yeah. couple of seasons. And that's why I think, you know, we see we do the mock draft roundup every week with Tony, right, on, on Draft Buzz. Yes. How often do we see the Eagles taking a corner in the first round of mock drafts? And it's like, hey, you know, I, I, I get it because people say, oh, you know, they gave up a lot of big plays at the course of the year. Yes. But I think it's unrealistic to expect. Now, could it happen? Of course. You can never say never. Certainly. But, I think when you when you look at it off the hoof, you're like, you're, it's probably not going to happen because you like you you know like you just illustrated, they've got a lot of young guys to position. They put time and effort into those guys. They want to continue to put more time and effort into those guys. I think that you're very much in a mode where let's let's let these young guys go in and compete and let the cream rise to the top. All right, next item. So two more items from an Eagle standpoint, and then we'll get into uh, what's going on around the league and here at the combine. Uh, Dallas Goddard. Okay, who actually could not participate in the drills at the Combine a year ago because of a hamstring injury. Mm. When I was trying to look up uh, how Eagles had performed at the Combine, and uh, I had to give Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice uh, uh, some of the business because he posted an article of like the best and worst Combine performances by the Eagles. And I said, dude, you jumped me by like, Two days. Okay, yeah. I I have not read it, and he Jimmy's already like you, you could copy a paste if, <laughs> if if you need to. I said I'm not going to cover the bad performances, obviously, but Dallas Goddard. It was interesting to hear Doug Pearson say that it's been a discussion point amongst the coaching staff how to involve him more in the offense next next season. You know, they tried to get him as many touches as they could. There were a lot of mouths to feed is the common cliche. Yep. He was still able to make an impact down the stretch, really grew in his rookie season. It seems like they are looking at him to take a huge jump from year one to year two. I mean, it's it's easy to see what they have in Dallas Goddard, yeah. a guy with, I mean, as far as upside, like his upside, his upside is, and I'm, I'm being serious, his upside is that he could be the best tight end in the NFL. Like that's his upside. Like that's his skill set athleticism, toughness, you know, hands, ball skills, yards after catch, like everything you want, he's got it. So um, to me, yeah, you want to pair him with Zach Ertz and get them, get both those guys on the field. Let those guys split reps at times. I, they're going to get him more involved next year. And it was something, uh, you know, I orchestrated a, a large majority of uh, one podcast I did with Greg Cosell right after the season ended on, okay, what, what needs to happen to build, build an offense around a two tight end set? You know, and I think that that discussion, um, you know, warrants more looking at because I think that's something that the Eagles will will look to continue to do. Maybe you just have to go down the hall to the uh, coaches' room because it seems like that's probably they're the having conversation that they're having. That's right. Uh, last time from an Eagles standpoint, a uh, number of questions about the need to add speed, especially at wide receiver. Do the Eagles need to add a deep threat? Uh, Doug Pearson said that there's many ways to open up the offense. Uh, said Nelson Aguilar did quite well with some of the big play targets he had this past season. It's not something that you have to have. If you just had a, a speed guy, you would just go drop back and throw it deep every single time. Don't think it's quite that simple. 
I personally understand the desire, the want to it. Uh, Doug kind of went to the 2017 Super Bowl season and was like, well, who was our deep threat then? And people were like, well, Torrey Smith. And I, I think he kind of looked at, looked at it as like, you can maybe say that, but was it as overwhelmingly dominant as maybe uh, you might want to say for someone of that position? So right. interesting interesting that I, I think there's room for it, and certainly I think it would help the offense. So I agree maybe with the sentiment of not forcing it, but uh, interesting for Doug to say that there's different ways to scheme up the offense because I do think there is a need to generate more explosive plays next season. Yeah, and I think uh, not to go – right back to that podcast I had with Greg, but in that discussion we talked, it's not just about the vertical stretches. You know, it's about the stuff that teams can do from a, har- a horizontal stretch standpoint, the bubble screens and yeah. the jet sweeps and, you know, all those things to stretch the defense horizontally, outside zone play action, you know, just different ways to be able to put defenders in binds. And so, you know, it's not just, oh, yeah, line up a, a 4-3 receiver outside the numbers and have him run deep and, you know, take the corner in the day, take the safety off. Like, it's not just that. It's 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 easy to just say that, but it's it's more than that. Um, you know, and obviously Doug knows that. So he's uh, he tried to illustrate that point today. All right, let's uh, dig into some nuggets from reporters around the league, and uh, we'll start with this note uh, combine-related here. Uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport says that Alabama defensive tackle Quentin Williams expected to be one of the top five picks here in the NFL draft uh, won't be taking part in the bench press due to a finger injury that will require surgery after the combine. I'm going to let you in on a secret. There is not one thing I care less about here at the Combine uh, that the players are asked to do than uh, than the bench press. That's just me personally. Even for the only positions where I could see it being of note would be the line. I'm going to look up who the best bench press numbers at the Combine are. and I, mean, I know who the record holder is. Who's the record holder? David Bulk. <laughs> like, I'm t- like, I'm t- there's literally like nothing I care about. Author extraordinaire David Brooke, right. of course. So, but no, it's a, it's a fair point. But it just noted that that's the one thing he will not be doing here. You, you don't have to go through your. Uh, oh, I'm gonna. You're gonna bring it up here. <laughs> Great. I mean, I don't even track it on my stuff because I literally that's how much I care about yeah. it. But I'm not even gonna bother. But Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's that's one one drill that I I don't. Care too much well, the main thing is it's nothing. He's having hopefully surgery, it's, yes. but hopefully it's nothing to be concerned nothing about crazy. long term. Exactly. Yep. Uh, next up, Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, former Eagles scout, says that tight end TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa is the quote unquote safest player in the draft. And if I recall, didn't you write something along the same lines in your combine preview? Uh, I may have. I might have. Uh, um, I got now. I got to do the uh, the digging. Uh, and I, I think that he's right on with this. If he's not the safest, I mean, he's one of the I, safest. I know like, it, that, it's an interesting term because I know it's a term that like you don't want to use. Like, there's no player who's of safe. course right. But, um, but I think when you look at T.J. Hawkinson, it's just so much of what he does is so easily translatable. You can say, oh yeah, like I can definitely see him doing, uh, you know, doing exactly what he's doing there. He playing pro style offense in line. He's running. He's running running quality routes. He's very good at the catch point. He's a good athlete. He's a better athlete, honestly, than given credit for. Uh, he's tough as nails. He does everything he's asked. He's a, he's a very, very good player, just rock solid across the board. So, um, yeah, no, not surprising at all to see DJ uh, say that. I, I'm pretty sure he said that in his conference call uh, yes. from this past Monday. So, 
no, not not surprising at all. Because Hawkinson, and I remember when I initially watched him, I'm like, I don't know, like, is is he special? And then you just keep watching, keep watching, keep watching. You're like, man, like, this kid does everything really, really well. There's the Eagles aren't interested in taking a tight end anyway, but obviously, there's no way he would be. He will be long gone by the time the Eagles go on the board at 25. Certainly. So uh, I was looking to see Did if it, it was. No, doesn't. He'll be a good player for a long time. Yeah. I don't think I said anything about you safe. said. I, I appreciate you trying to give me the credit. Though. I, I I was trying for some reason it just rang a bell that that was the player you you mentioned that about. Uh, so getting to another position here, running back Alabama's Josh Jacobs. Many consider, I think, widely consider the top running back here at the NFL scouting combine will be limited due to a groin injury. Per Ian Rappaport. So we don't know what limited means yet. We don't know if that means all tests. We don't know if that means he'll just do the bench. We don't know if it means he'll just do the 40 and won't do shuttles. We'll find out uh, on Saturday. But limited means, obviously, he's not going to do everything. Exactly. So uh, Hopefully nothing too serious. Yeah, you wonder if it's almost like a Dallas Goddard situation. Like maybe does that you know, drop the value just a little bit? And Potentially. So we'll see with that. Uh, up next here, Baylor wide receiver, former Tennessee running back Jalen Hurd, someone who Fran thinks could be a tight end, recently underwent knee surgery and will not participate in drills at the combine outside of the bench press, once again, per Ian Rappaport. And I think our friend Tony Pauline mentioned this was right after he had had the surgery back in January because um, that's why he wasn't he didn't participate in the senior bowl either because of this injury. I think Tony said that he's going to try and have a pro day in April. Um, so, which would be a good thing because uh, he is expected to test very, very well for a guy his size. Now, again, whether you view him as a, a jumbo running back, if you look at him as a big slot receiver, if you look at him as an undersized tight end, however you view him, the numbers that he's going to put out will be very impressive for those roles. So uh, he's a guy, hopefully for his sake, he is able to test before the draft. All right, up next here, uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, notes that Ohio State wide receiver Paris Campbell is one of the ten best athletes here in Indy. No question. Like it, <laughs> To me, if um, – so Barquise Brown was the guy who I named as my workout warrior. Yes. He will obviously not be participating due to his Liz Frank injury. Yes. That's who I would have put to replace Marquise Brown. Got it. Uh, Paris Campbell – He's explosive, he's smooth, he's got everything you want athletically. The big thing with Paris Campbell is, you know, you look at him and you say, okay, he's, you know, he's 6'1". I'll give from a body type standpoint, he's kind of built like Josh Huff, right? Like he's okay. like, he's got pretty good height, he's got long arms, he's, uh, but he's really, you know, he's explosive. He's more explosive than Josh was. But you look at him and you say, okay, is he a deep threat? He wasn't really used as a deep threat in Ohio State. He wasn't used that way. Yeah. Is he a slot receiver? Well, he wasn't really. He lined up in the slot, but he didn't run like a lot of routes over the middle of the field. Uh, how is he going to be in traffic? He, you know, he didn't run a full route tree. All right, so what is he? So he ran a lot of shallow crosses. He did a lot of sweeps. He did a lot of screen uh, bubble screens. Um, was a gadget guy. He ran some shallow crosses and he ran deep over routes. I mean, he ran some. He ran some routes, obviously, but. You're projecting a little bit, yeah. and you're betting on the athlete. Um, and that's that's what I think you're looking at with Paris Campbell. Very intriguing player, but you have to have a plan for him, and you have to hope. you know, you got to coach him up. You meetings and stuff will be big for him because you have to have faith that you're going to be able to coach him up. All right, next, uh, an Eagles-related item. Uh, once again, from Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, pick two running backs 
who could pique the Eagles' interest. This was on the conference calls, right? On the conference call as well, yes. Daryl Henderson from Memphis and Devin Singletary, who Jeremiah said, quote, has a little shady McCoy to him. If I remember right, I think I may have written the same thing about uh, Singletary. Um, And, you know, I think when you look at Singletary, really the biggest thing with him is that, you know, his lateral agility, his ability to jump cut, he he has got – ridiculous ability to make that first man miss. And it was something that he really excelled at uh, during his time, um, you know, at FAU. Which is, which is comparable to Shady McCoy. And right. also, Jeremiah noted the long speed is lacking a bit, yep. which was the same critique of McCoy. No question. And I, I, that's the difference between Singletary and Henderson, where Henderson, he's explosive. He might be the most explosive back in the draft, um, and honestly, if I if I had if I could ask for one redo on my combine previews, okay. I would think I'd I think no. I would put <laughs> I think I would put Henderson as the workout warrior. Okay. Um you know, because the more I watch a single tear, yeah, the, the long speed isn't great. He's gonna he's still gonna test really well in the shuttles, I, I still I feel like. But Henderson, I mean you get him in the perimeter, and he is lethal. Like I'm imagining, like in the Eagles scheme, like with sweeps and different counters and all those different perimeter stuff, perimeter runs that they do. Uh, he would be awesome at those different plays. Now he's not a, a great between the tackles runner. Um, you know, I think I made the comparison on Twitter to um, to Dalvin Cook. Okay, and he kind of looks like Dalvin Cook when he runs. Dalvin was a better, you know, more instinctive Dalvin guy between the, between the tackles. I think when you look at, at Henderson. He, his money is made on the perimeter, and he can be lethal in the passing game as well, a guy that can be used in all different ways. So two very interesting players. All right, so Deontay Thompson, the Alabama safety, some consider the best safety in this draft class, uh, had surgery to repair a torn ligament in his wrist and is unlikely to take part drills in drills here in Indianapolis, according to Ian Rappaport. Uh, on a side note, another conference call item from Daniel Jeremiah noted that Thompson was the one Alabama player who should have gone back hmm. to school. He's basically saying he was – he's probably a day – he's still a day two pick this sure. season. Yep. Could have gone back. Didn't finish the season on a high note. Could have gone back and made himself a first-round lock uh, for 2020. And I think that's probably fair. Um, you know, I, and, you know, he's a guy I think a lot of people saw the highlights go only a one-year starter. And he had – look, he's long, and he does play the ball very well in the air. But there are questions about his athleticism, so the the inability to work out is tough for this week for him. Uh, and there's questions about his ability to defend the run, um, you know. And I think that uh, those things could have he could have massaged those and improved those going back to Alabama for another year. So uh, that's not surprising to see Dan Jeremiah say that. Like I said, there are still traits to like with mm-hmm. Deontay Thompson. I still think he probably will be a day two pick because you know safeties that can play in the in, in the post, you know, typically go pretty high. Um, you know, we we saw the the Saint who the, the who's the kid the the Saints took, um, who uh, was the 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 goat in the Minnesota Miracle play. Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams, kind of the same boat. Yeah. You know, Marcus Williams was a, a pure center fielder. Still ended up going the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of what you're looking at with Deontay Thompson. All right, uh, staying in the SEC, a player who you're a big fan of, Fran, Florida tackle Jawan Taylor uh, will not participate in drills due to a hamstring injury. Uh, Adam Schefter from ESPN reported this, citing a note that Dr. James Andrews sent uh, to every NFL ball club. Which is a shame. Um, he weighed in today. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, Juwan Taylor didn't part- or is not going to participate in drills on 
Friday. Um, he's a, a big kid, uh, really long. I would have been really intrigued to see him test. We'll see what the numbers are at the pro day. All right, let's get into some uh, news and notes from things other coaches and GMs said here uh, on Wednesday in Indianapolis. Uh, let's spice things up at the top of the draft. You wonder, uh, did Roger Goodell maybe uh, send a note to Steve Kime of the Cardinals <laughs> saying, uh, you know, create some intrigue here? So asked, of course, there's the connection between Cliff Kingsbury, the new head coach, and Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma, and, you know, Kingsbury – Reportedly said back in the fall, if I had the number one draft pick, I'd be taking Kyler Murray with it. Well, guess who has the number one overall pick? Okay, however, the Cardinals used a first-round pick a year ago on Josh Rosen. So is Josh Rosen still the team's franchise quarterback? Steve Kime, general manager of the Cardinals, says for sure, for now. So so he spoke immediately after Kingsbury did. Okay. And Kingsbury was, like, supporting Rosen. was like, hey, you know, I really like Josh Rosen and talked all the things that he liked. And then Kime came up. And said that, and I was like, "What, what do we now. believe here?" Uh, when he said it, my like jaw, I like turned. I was, I was actually, I was standing with uh, with our uh, our friend Bo Wolf, and I turned to Bo, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like, did you, did you hear what he just said? Um, you know, I think when uh, you know when you have those kind of situations, it's a benefit to Steve Kime because if they don't, let's say they, you know, if they want action now for that number one pick, you make intrigue. You want to make intrigue. You create now, some intrigue. You know, yes. You, yeah. You you want people to think, oh yeah, it's possible we could take we could take a quarterback here, um, just in case there's somebody that really wants to make sure they get up for that quarterback. And, and if if Josh Rosen is going to have hurt feelings over not being publicly supported. Then that there's a probably guess, issue there, and, and my guess is that if they, if they're if it's pure smoke and they just want to create intrigue, they probably talked with Josh beforehand and say, "Hey, look, like this, is, that could be the case. this is what we're going to say." It's a great point. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. It'll be okay. Uh, let's see. Next note here. Similar uh, situation. Similar situation. New York Giants. You figure they've got to go quarterback here in 2019. Pat Shermer, okay, I actually was in on, on, his, on his conference. Okay, I missed okay. this one, okay. Uh, said that Eli would be back in New York in yep. 2019. Uh, reportedly, he's been working out with the team in the offseason. He's been in the building. But, you know, Shermer was like, he's the guy in 2019. Dave Gellman, I didn't hear this from him directly. Dave Gellman, the GM, uh, refused to confirm him as a 2019 starter. Basically said, like, look, look guys, like, I, can't, I can't say he's definitely going to be the starter. That's and that's yes. so. It was just interesting to have two teams somewhat back to back, you know, have their head coach and GM purposely. Obviously, this is all done for a reason. Not be on the same page when it comes to their plans at quarterback for the draft. For me, it, it made it sound like when listening to Shermer, Eli was probably the guy this year. Oh yeah, and but that wouldn't preclude them from. Dra- it wasn't like we're not drafting a quarterback. Right. It wasn't anything along those lines. It's like. Your opening day starter is probably going to be Eli Manning. Now, after that, of it's, all, it's all up in the air. You know? And Shermer said, you know, Manning played well down the stretch, gives us a chance to, to win football games, has shown that ability, la, 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 la. Yeah. As an Eagles fan, I would be fine seeing Eli Manning as a quarterback for years to come. Right. All right, uh, up next here, Cincinnati Bengals, director of player personnel Duke Tobin, said the trade rumors regarding John Ross – were fake news. In quotes, fake news. That was the, that was the quote. And uh, Press Taylor's brother, Zach Taylor, new head coach, said he can't wait to work with the former top ten 
pick. So, so I wasn't in on Duke Tobin, but I was in on Zach Taylor. Okay. And How I, was he, by the way? He was good. Yeah. Press is very press there, is I mean, very there, you could so. t- like I didn't know him when I first looked at him. And I was like, oh, who's this? Um, and as soon as I heard him talk, I was like, oh, this is press. Like they, they you have very tell. similar mannerisms. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, he was I mean, he was glowing about John Ross. So um, that really stood out to me. And then when I went and saw Duke Tobin's quote after, I said, oh, this is. I mean, it's notable because um, this was a report from it was either last week or early this week. It might have been. I think it was early this week um, about them trying to trade John Ross. Well, and, didn't our good friend Tony Pauline? I think it might have been. Break it early. I, 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 I mean, I didn't want to throw him under the bus. Um, but uh, yeah, he'll, he'll have a chance to stake uh, his uh, claim, and he will tomorrow. We he will tomorrow. I'm sure he's uh, he's on his way to Indy. We'll, we will not be on the podcast today, but right. you know he'll have a chance to defend himself. So we'll 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 hold his feet to the fire. But. I but I think when you look at you know Zach Taylor, you know the people he's played, you know, people he's coached under. Uh, I'm interested to see how they, how he would use a guy like John Ross. All right, up next, uh, it, it was a little little bittersweet. Oh, it definitely was. Nine a.m. First kicking one. kicking off the uh, GM coach press conferences here in Indy. Our good friend Mike Mayock, now GM of the Oakland Raiders, uh, leaving a hole with our Eagles broadcast team, but just outstanding guy. So happy for him to get the job there in Oakland. Uh, said today that Marcel Aitman is Oakland's ex-receiver and notable, as Fran points out here, because the Raiders pick ahead of the Eagles with the number 24 selection. It's their third uh, first round selection. Is there's third first round selection, right? Yes. Yes, correct. Um, so what's notable is that he said today Marcel Aitman is our oh, extra today. receiver. Oh, today. I miss I missed this here in the notes. Yep, so today. Right. So today okay. is the he is the extra receiver, and he was not bashful about saying like, look, like, you know, we want to get. I think he said it. We want to get bigger, faster, more athletic. Um, you know, Marcel Aitman. You know, I think I he may have even been undrafted. Um, but he was a late. If not, he was a late round pick last year out of Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, big kid can go up and play the ball, but not not a guy that I would have pegged. Oh yeah, like he's going to be a, a day one starter, and certainly they, uh, you know, a guy that we're going to be looking at as a building block for a future NFL offense. So um, I thought that was notable, and again, it's notable because the Raiders probably aren't picking a receiver at four. So you know that could mean all right is is DK Metcalf on the board for them uh at 24 when they pick ahead of the Eagles. Exactly. So something to note there. Uh, something else that was great from his press conference was he was asked I think it was actually Paul Domowicz from the Daily News asked him why now? Yep. Why is now why was now the right time to make the jump to go from the broadcast booth to a team and he explained the relationships yeah, that was cool. he has with John Gruden and the executives there in Oakland to have that synergy so that everyone's on the same page. And it just made me think of, and I might actually write about this for PhiladelphiaEagles.com, you have Doug Pearson, Harry Roseman, Joe Douglas now in their third draft working yep. together, that you have that the understanding. And, and Howie actually made a joke. Uh, it was Howie was asked by, it was Bo Wolf actually asked a question, looking at the final four teams, each one of them had a top five offense. When constructing the roster, do you need to make it more offensive-centric? Do you need to weigh more toward the offense? And Howie was at the podium. Doug yeah. was standing off to the side. That was good. And just goes to, Doug, uh, what do you think? And, you know, Doug's like, you know, making a joke. Ah, you know, uh, right. you know, bouncing act, this and the other. Howie's like, you got to keep the big guy happy. Right. That that So that shows. That, that's, that's a great example of exactly why, why the good teams stay good and why teams, they're teams that – struggle tend to struggle because 
the coaching staff and the front office aren't on that same page. So yeah. just an interesting side note, uh, hearing Mayock speak. I, uh, I actually I asked Mayock in the press conference about um, how he values and how he looks at pressure up front because, you know, talk, being with this defensive line class, how do you value pressure from, from the inside, from the interior versus pressure off the edge? Um, and he said, you know, uh, he's talked to all the, all the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and without question, the thing that bothers them the most is pressure right in their face. You got pressure off the edge, you can step up, you know, there's the pocket, you can, you can kind of avoid that. There's things you can do from a protection standpoint to negate that as well. But nothing bothers them more than when they've got pressure right in their face. So, you know, while, yeah, edge rushers are very important, I think it's probably about equal. And I thought that was a really, really interesting statement for a guy that, you know, they could have, you know, Quinn and Williams in their lap, even though they took Maurice Hurst last year, who everybody mm-hmm. thought was a top 10 talent, and they took P.J. Hall in the second round, uh, the small school kid. You know, could they be in play for one of these big defense tackles? Did he give you a shout-out after you asked it? He uh, he did name – I was the – he uh, Damo and I were the only people he named. Uh, you, and they, I, uh, I, was not, I heard the Damo question, obviously, and then I, I stepped away. So I did not hear you get a uh, – Name drop, so it's a proud moment. Yeah, I'm sure I would. I would, <laughs> would be a proud moment. No, Mike's there. the man. Mike's awesome. Uh, I'm definitely gonna miss him. Best of luck. Uh, it's interesting because Doug was asked about that same question, and he said, as a former quarterback himself, in your face. That's that's the worst one. Now he did specify how it's good having speed guys like Derek Barnett, Josh to Webb, force the guys to, to force step, step up, up into, into that it. Rush. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next year, speaking of edge rushers, Randy Gregory. Not a great day for uh, Dallas Cowboys no. on Tuesday. Uh, reportedly suspended <clears throat> indefinitely by the league. ESPN's M. Schefter with this report. And then later on, David Irving also under suspicion and may also be handed a, a suspension as well. Do you hear that sound? Yeah, I hear it. That's Demarcus Lawrence <laughs> wringing his hands, like just waiting for that cash to roll in because – uh, Dallas has no – I mean, they they have to pay Lawrence. They have to. Yes. I would be shocked if they let him leave. No – Dallas has no leverage. Zero. Left in a situation. Yeah. And it's – Lawrence has already been franchise tagged once. If right. you do it again, it's, I believe, 20 and a half mil is what's been reported. Yep. So, I mean, for DeMarc Lawrence, like, you, that's like the starting point almost. Like, if you're going to give me 20 mil for a second franchise tag, you got to at least start – in that it's ballpark. the Kirk Cousins thought. Yep, exactly. Exactly right. Yes. So it's tough problem. Tough problem for Dallas to have there. Uh, last note here before we get into some of the winners of the weigh-ins today. Uh, any other overall thoughts? You know, I I was in for a large majority of the coaches and GMs. Not obviously not everybody. Um, especially once you know Howie and Doug spoke. I came over here to, for Radio Row for everything. But um, you know, I always find it interesting. Part of my process that I'm trying to embrace more is just try and understand like how you know the decision makers across the league tick, and you know what are they looking for, what trends, and so it's interesting trying to find the balancing act between guys like you know that we have an idea of, you know, like Thomas Dimitrov has uh, been you know he's been the GM since 2008, you know, uh, you know obviously Andy Reid, you know we we there are people that have been been around for a while, we kind of we have an idea. I like talking with with GMs and with coaches that maybe have just been on the job for a year or maybe this is their first one or maybe it's just their second one um, where 
they're still trying to kind of assert themselves. We've got a small sample size of how they operate mm-hmm. uh, and trying to figure out, all right, like how do you, you know, what, what do you value here? And sometimes you get, I think you get some interesting nuggets of truth. And so th- there were some good ones today that I, I thought were really interesting. Um, you know, some of the stuff we talked about, the other, but to me, those were, those are all of the nuggets that I try and get from, from these, uh, yeah. from this event. That's what you should be trying. It's, it's interesting because after listening to Doug and Howie, you got the news about Nick Foles, but there was not anything else that was like earth shattering. There was nothing else that because they were, I, they were, you know, and that's why I get like the obviously the, look the the writers, the local writers, they want they want the news, they want what's going to happen free agency. Like to yeah. me, like the the stuff that gives me the most juice is like stuff about process and you know and and uh, not necessarily the 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 news stuff. It's the all right, like what goes into this decision? What goes into that decision? Mm-hmm. You know, what what are you trying to get out of this week? What you know, th- those are the things that uh, you know how people value. Like that's why I asked Mayock the 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 defensive end, defensive yeah. tackle question is, you know, to me those things. That's where you might get a sliver of truth from those guys. All right, uh, let's go into the measurements here in Indianapolis, and uh, we talked about Jawan Taylor already. Why don't we touch on him again? Uh, was listed at 339 pounds by the Gators. Thir- this by year, the huh? Gators on their on their website, came in at 312. So no one was. I and I may have missed it when the, when the measurements. Charles Robinson uh, tweets out all, all the measurements. Sports. Yeah, okay, yes. sports. So you know, I checked out his long thread, and I saw a couple of them throughout the day. But I when I came here right before the podcast, I saw and I I tweeted this out. I didn't really see anybody tweeting about the Juwan Taylor thing. I mean, the fa- look. He was at 400 pounds when he was in high school, and uh, I'm pretty sure he was a Georgia kid. And his coaches in high school kind of told him, "They're like, look, like you, teams want to offer you, but you are too big. Like you've got you've got to lose weight." And so he started losing weight. He lost weight for his senior year, and right away he got SEC offers, and he went to Florida. He got down. He kept shedding weight, shedding weight, and he was again listed 339. The fact that he's down to 312, um, you know. 90 pounds, 80 pounds less than where he was just three, four years ago um, is really, really impressive. Josh Norris, friend of the podcast, uh, tweeted tweeted at me after um, and said that uh, not that he was stalking him on Instagram or anything, (laughs) but uh, Jawan Taylor was showing off a six-pack in a recent IG post. You showed it to me. And I showed it to you after another Twitter follower had sent it to me, and I was like, whoa, like, that's that's impressive. That's impressive. (laughs) He's – He's a very intriguing player. He does not look 300 pounds. The no. way he, the way it looks on his frame That's from big that boy. picture, it's it. But it's like you don't look at him and think like, oh, like most 300 pound guys are kind of like, okay, you can understand it. Like this one, it's like well put together. Yes. 300 pounds. Agree. Uh, how about Jonah Williams uh, coming in six four, a little over six four, 300 pounds with nearly 34 inch arms. Yep. So were there questions about in your mind arm length and you know whether or not that he would have to go into guard. So no one, no one had any idea what the length would be, and so some people are like, all right, well, is it going to be thirty-two inches? Is it going to be thirty-three? Is it going to be thirty-four? A lot of people view the benchmark for tackle at thirty-four. Some people think it's thirty-three and a half. Some people say, uh, you know, ideally you want at least thirty-three, like that's the bottom. So the fact that he came in at thirty-three and five eighths, I think, is a win. And so yeah. I know, like uh, Roto World had tweeted out, um, they do a great job of tweeting out a lot of these blurbs. Uh, you know, they tweeted out that. He, you know, he fell short of 34, which that's true. Like the headline, you know, that's true. He fell short of 34. For but. some people, that may turn him off. For some people, I think that will meet the threshold. So, um, look, at the end of the day, I wasn't expecting him to come in with, with super long arms. You can watch him and see that he does have some trouble with length. 
The other big one was that he came in at just 302. That is that is pretty light, um, especially if you're talking for a guard as well. That, I mean, that's pretty light. Um, so that's you know matching up because he was. I think he was listed 300. I think he was listed 65 300 by Alabama. Okay. Well, going back to Jawan Taylor, I was wondering if 312 was almost a little too light for no, a tackle position. No, I it's... think I think for I mean, look for the guy who's. I mean, he came in at uh, I think he came in at 66 or you know, whatever it was. I I didn't write down the initial yeah. or the, the accurate height, but. Um, no, I'm not too worried about it if that's too light. Uh, next up here, Morgan State's Josh Miles coming in at 6'5", 314 pounds, nearly 11-inch hands. Yep. And then 30, almost 30, 35-and-a-half-inch arms. Yeah, great, crazy frame for a guy that we've talked a little bit about. Uh, we had him on the podcast. Um, he's an impressive kid. The film is pretty good, too. Uh, he's played tackle throughout the course of his career, played a little bit of guard down at the Shrine game. Um, you know, they're one of these linemen that came in this, that, this week and had a really impressive way. Though his weigh-in numbers weren't really released from the Shrine game. So this was the first time we've got to take a look at, you know, his length and his wingspan and his hand size. So uh, that was impressive to see, uh, you know, what his measurables were today. All right. Uh, running backs also, some of the running backs also weighed in and measured here today. Uh, Justice Hill from Oklahoma State coming in at 198 pounds, a win for him considering he was listed at just 185. Yep, still light, but not 185 light. Yep, yeah. so that, I thought that was a win for Justice Hill. You have to see how he moves. No that, that's all. That's going to be the next phase. Is okay. I could put on 10, 15 pounds. Yep. It's am I going to move the same? Have the same exactly. quickness and time? Roughly the same. Uh, Miles Gaskin, the ultra productive uh, Washington running back. Uh, 205, listed at 190 in the preseason. So. Yeah, the scouts had him in the, back in the spring at 190, so for him to come in at 205 today um, is good. And it's, you know, because at 190, you're, you're talking, okay, he's very small and skinny. At 205, now you're saying, all right, there's there's something to work with here. Yeah. Now we get to, how's he just like you said with Hill, how's he test at 205? And then last but not least here to uh, cap off draft buzz, uh, Bryce Love, the former, you know, Heisman finalist, the former front runner going into this past campaign uh, out of Stanford, came in a bit taller and heavier than expected. Should be noted he is recovering from an ACL injury. Yep, so it hasn't really been working out. So the heavier thing it was somewhat expected. Um, but the, the height thing, that works for his advantage. For Cer- sure. Certainly. All right, so that is the marathon edition yes. of Draft Buzz. Up next, six players who could help themselves the most here in Indianapolis. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, for answer, the exercise of the day is trying to figure out six players. Obviously, every player can help themselves here with a strong showing in Indianapolis. But who are ones who can really dramatically shift, alter their draft grades, or at least make teams go back and say, we need to do a little more homework and research on this player. So I'm going to kick things off here. I'm going to start with Hakeem Butler from Iowa State, but I'm not just going to go with Hakeem Butler, okay? I'm really looking at all, you know, the Nikhil Harrys, all the tall receivers because let's go to last year's draft, and a number of them were projected to be early-round picks, but they didn't test well athletically here at the Combine and ended up going late seventh round or not drafted at all. Yep. So for me, it's – is this a trend in a league where, all right, it's great if you're big, but if you don't have the agility, guess what? It's, it's not going to work out. I think that's huge. I mean, you go back to last year, like you said, I mean, Auden Tate is one that comes to mind. Auden mm-hmm. Tate was in 
late first round in mock drafts coming into the combine through the through the fall and the summer. He went seventh round to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, Alan Lazard, uh, Iowa State, Simi Cobbs, Indiana. Like, yeah. you know, we've rolled these names through before in the past on the podcast. The the, the combine is going to be big for guys like Butler, Harry, Kelvin Harmon. Um, you know, Ty- Tyree Brady, a bunch of these big-bodied kids. Like, all right, you have to set yourself apart. Who who are, who are the guys that can separate on their own? All right, so uh, I'm starting with the offense. You're going defense. Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy that I don't – it's not that I think that this will drastically alter this guy's stock because I think right now he's being viewed as a top half of the first-round pick by would, most yeah. people. Um, and we're talking Cleveland Farrell from Clemson. Uh, our buddy Tony Pauline thinks he's a top-five talent. I think when you look at Cleveland Farrell, I love his film from I mean he's alongside Nick Bosa is probably the best technician of any pass rusher in the draft. Uses his hands very very well, deep toolbox of moves, high motor, good pass rush plan, good run defender, can drop in coverage, do a little bit there. He you check a lot of boxes. The one question I have watching Cleveland Farrell is is he explosive enough upfield? Is he flexible enough turning the corner? Is he a, a good enough athlete to say, yeah, this guy's going to be a consistent double-digit sack guy? Like, is he that guy? I think when you look at this pass rush group, because it's, again, very talented group, if he doesn't test well, then that's going to kind of drop him down, I think, for some people. If he can go out and have a good workout with his film, he's going to go top 10, top 12. I think. I think that's what, to me, like if he can go and just have a good workout, He's going to be a lock for the top 12 of the draft. He's a guy – was he your trust-the-tape guy? I think he was, yes. You know, someone who, look, he's not going to test well. Don't knock him for it. Yep. Okay? That's – it's not it's, – you shouldn't be – I'm still going to like Cleland Farrell. I may not love Cleland Farrell, but I'm yeah. still going to like him because of all the things that I talked about, all the things we saw on film, if he doesn't test well. But if he tests well yep. – Forget it. He's going top 15. This came up. This was a topic of discussion on Jeremiah's conference call, Daniel Jeremiah's conference okay. call, comparing Cleveland Farrell and Montez Sweat. Yep. Sweat is probably the more athletic upside. Yep. Farrell gives you the power. If Farrell can get in the ballpark with the athleticism, obviously, like and like you said, it probably just cements his position within the top 12 spots of this draft. And I had a conversation with our buddy Ben Fennell about Cleveland Farrell uh, last week. And, you know, I talked about, you know, what my reservations were, what we both really liked about his film. And he said, look at Bradley Chubb. And that we, you and I had the same discussion about Bradley Chubb last yes. year. I was like, oh, you know, like I like Bradley Chubb on film. He, does, he checks a lot of boxes. Is he athletic enough to be like that guy? Bradley Chubb had double-digit sacks this year. And Ben Ben loves to watch, like, all of, you know, he watches. The difference between Ben and I in season <laughs> is if it's like a random Thursday and we've got a half hour to watch some tape. I'll say, like, all right, let's plug in, you know, Morgan State versus Elon. Uh, ben will say, all right, let's watch the Broncos versus the Chiefs. Like, that's the difference between Ben and I on yeah. Thursday in season. Um, but Ben, go watch all of Bradley Chubb's sacks from last year. Six of them, seven of them were high effort, you know, where a guy just was relentless. And it wasn't about his athleticism. It was more about effort and technique, and that's what Cleveland Farrell brings to the table. All right, third up, uh, I'm going to go with Caleb McGarry. It's a good of, one. Out of Washington. Yep. Uh Won the Morris Trophy, top offensive lineman in the Pac-12 a year ago, a three-plus-year starter at right tackle. Uh, the one thing that's going to be notable for him is he has the medical check. Yes. Okay. He had three procedures to correct a heart arrhythmia uh, in, you know, growing up. If the medical checks out, if he tests well athletically, I think he cements himself as one of the top offensive linemen here 
in this draft class. A very, very fascinating backstory. Um, uh, lost part of a family home due to a fire. Hmm. Um, you know, was I think it's overall a lot of stuff going on from off the field. Uh, you know, trying to help support his family at this time. So, uh, with that in mind. I already looked at him as a prospect, you know, who could certainly help himself with a great week here. But I think when you add in, you have to take the medical here. If he can pass the medical yep. and then perform well in the field, it'll set himself apart here in Indianapolis. I would agree. Yeah, McGarry's an interesting guy, and I think if he is able to have a good a good workout, that would really help him. Certainly. Um, all right, I'm going to go Benny Snell from Kentucky because I think, again, when you look at all the running backs in this class, if you want a guy that can – you know, set himself apart. How does he get himself into that tier of the you know the David Montgomerys and the Devin Singletarys and the like? I think when you say, okay, Benny Snell, big physical runner, check. Like you know that he's got that. He's got the ability to work between the tackles. He's big and powerful. If he can prove to have a solid workout, I think that gives people a little bit more faith. All right, this guy can be a primary ball carrier in NFL offense. And I would say something about like maybe L.J. Scott from Michigan State. I'd probably throw into that group as okay. well. Um, but completely Benny's, forget about L.J. Scott, someone who kind of really has dropped off. Yeah, no, that, no one really so. talks about him. I mean, L.J. Scott was, I mean, was viewed by a lot of people as maybe the number one senior running back outside of Damian Harris. Um, but no one's really talking. I would say Scott's probably in that group as well. So last player here. Again, he goes so many different options. I kind of went with the low-hanging fruit with Kyler Murray. Okay, yep. uh, you know, former Eagles personnel executive Lou Riddick. Um, now with ESPN, tweeted out earlier, like basically, don't be surprised when he goes number one right. overall. Yep. Now he didn't say to Arizona or of course which team. Nonetheless, though, don't be shocked. And look, if Kyler Murray, look, he has to go through the, he has to win with the height weight. We had our over under on that on last week's podcast. Yep. Then if he goes out and shows showcases his, his wares on the field, he can easily become the big winner here in Indianapolis. And, you know, I think it seems like at this point it's whether it's him or Haskins is your top quarterback in this draft class, you know, he could go off and separate himself with that playmaking ability here with a tremendous week. Yeah, I, I would say that that certainly is one. And I think I'm going to kind of follow suit okay. with my last one. And, and it's a guy that we all expect to test well. And that's Ed Oliver from Houston, the defensive tackle. But I think when you look at Ed Oliver, how he can help himself is how he weighs in. You know, Mike Back talked about it earlier today on that 9 a.m. It was, uh, you know, what is he going to weigh in at? We're all anxious to see because, you know, if he comes in at 285 and then runs, you know, Mike said, Mike said, he was like, is he going to run 4-5? Like, he might run 4-5. Like, <laughs> I mean, if he checks in at like 285 and runs 4-5, now it's like, all right, well, uh, this reminds everyone, oh, yeah, this is why we talked about Ed Oliver yes. as a top ten pick. This is why we thought that he was going to be the, one of the best players in the country. Um, you know, people are talking about, like, he could fall out of round one. He could fall to the Eagles at 25. He might fall to the Eagles. At the, it was preposterous to think that he would fall to 14, and that's kind of like the chic pick is him to the Falcons. Yeah. And I got to think that's his floor. Like, to me, like I can't imagine him falling past Atlanta. Um, but I think when you look at it, it's like, all right, like, Ed Oliver, like, come in, weigh in 280-plus, uh, you know, be the freak that you are athletically and lock yourself into the top 10, top 12. All right, so pick six, six players who can help themselves the most this week here in Indianapolis with Hakeem Butler and all the big wide receivers, Cleveland Farrell, Caleb McGarry, Benny Snell, Kyler Murray, and last but not least, Ed Oliver. And it's time for the unofficial visit. Fran, you have the honors. You, you happened to mention Elon a short time That's ago. That's right. I, I wonder why. I didn't even do that on purpose, but uh, we're going to talk with uh, Oli Udo, who I caught up with at the Shrine game. 
Um, very interesting player. You know, I watched him back in the fall uh, on a random Thursday, I'm sure, like I like I alluded to. Um, but you know, I think you know this is a big kid, a lot of potential. Uh, college tackle has gotten worked out at guard over the course of this offseason as well. Uh, really, really looks the part. Like in person, I was very impressed with him at the Shrine game. Thought he was one of the best players there. So uh, I was excited to talk to him down in St. Pete. All right, let's get to the interview right now in our unofficial visit. The unofficial visit. Here now with Elon, offensive lineman Oli Udo. And Oli, uh, talk about this experience because this has obviously been uh, kind of a little bit of a whirlwind for a lot of these guys. What, what, has this been about what you expected it would be coming down here to St. Petersburg? Yeah, um, I basically was just like expecting to play against some of the best players in the nation, and that's what I got. Uh, it's been tough, but I've been having a lot of fun out here. What's been the feedback from scouts in terms of the areas where you know uh, you know you've been standing out? Give us a quick scouting report of what you'll bring to the next level. Um, I've been uh, pass protecting uh, pretty good at both guard and tackle. Um, uh, I'd say run game could use a little bit of improvement, but has been solid all week, basically. And you were a four-year starter at right tackle for Elon. You've played a little bit of guard here at the Shrine game. What's that been like for you, and do you feel comfortable moving inside? Yeah, it's been fun, to be honest with you. Like, coming into this game, I, I wasn't expecting to play it as much. was hoping that I would get more tackle reps, but after getting at guard and just feeling comfortable because I haven't played it since freshman year, it's been really, really fun. What's been an underrated part, or I should say, what is an underrated part of playing on the offensive line? Maybe that fans and media don't necessarily think about, but something that's definitely on your mind each and every day. Just the underappreciation of offensive linemen, which comes with being an offensive sure. lineman. And the fact is you you probably won't ever hear about an offensive line unless they're really bad. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it comes with the position, and I, I love it for that. I'm not really all into the uh, – media and and uh <laughs> getting the spotlight treatment so it perfect it works perfectly and then tell me about uh, what who's a player that has really kind of caught your eye this week that you know maybe it's an offensive lineman maybe it's a defensive lineman anybody that really kind of opened your eyes is standing out so far um i don't even remember what team he plays for i think cincinnati the defensive tackle yeah, 90s, yeah he's been light fire every single day good love competing against him he's a pretty good player Awesome. Well, Oli, appreciate the time here. Best of luck the rest of this week and then throughout the rest of the draft process. Thank you. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. We really didn't tease the mailbag. Actually, we have to explain, you didn't even solicit questions. I didn't have to solicit questions. Uh, This was, so, what do we say every time, right? That we, I think we said last week, hey, like that was our last question on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, and people came through. We had, I think, we had five comments from our on our Apple Podcast page in the last uh, half, you know half week. So uh, we put them all in here because now, guess what? If you want your question on the show, fast track, fast track, just go right on, leave us a review. Hopefully it's five stars if you like the show. Hopefully it's five stars. That's the best way to support. And leave a comment. That's how you get on the show. Jump to the front of the line. Jump to the right to the front. Before we get into that, uh, your unofficial visit, Oliudo, any uh, takeaways, anything of note that you recall? I thought it was interesting that uh, he said Cortez Broughton, the uh, the defensive tackle with Cincinnati, was the guy who uh, surprised him most okay. um, or, or impressed him most, I should say, from the, uh, from the Shrine game week of practice. Broughton is one of those guys that, you know, Deep defensive tackle class, and then with all the juniors that came out, 
he just kind of he fell through the cracks, and that's why he's not here. Uh, but an interesting player, and I've actually gone. I've watched him the past three years. Uh, you know, since he was a sophomore. Okay. Um, and I, I, Udo, I thought you know, look, he said he was. He thought he was a really good pass protector at both guard and tackle, and he proved that at the Shrine game. So I thought that was notable. All right, let's get into the Apple Podcast questions here. And the draft. We do have a couple of Twitter ones that I threw in at the end. But oh, you did? Okay. Heavy Apple Podcast. Got it. Okay. Well, I like Heavy Apple Pie, Heavy Apple Podcast. So That's there we right. go. Uh, Rage114, this is from the Apple Podcast page, notes that, look, recognizes it's an Eagles podcast, but really, you know, an NFL draft podcast with some emphasis on the Eagles in draft buzz. Uh, Asked if we've considered introducing a segment with an emphasis on the other NFC East teams and he left he left a five-star review i love the idea i love the content good, idea. I, I think especially as we get closer i think now that we've we've heard from the from the gms the coaches yep. we'll hear from the other ones not everyone talked on wednesday it, it's spread out between now and, and friday um i forgot that goes into friday yeah but and now that you're really getting juice on all the teams in the league i i think it would be worthwhile so i do we, we, are we going to have to get uh, Chris Barletto to uh, do an open? We might. I, I think sure that's the best way to do it. Yeah. And I, I think, too, you know, Rage, I appreciate you listening. Um, and we do try and t- – I, I take a lot of uh, pride in making sure that we, you know, it is geared towards the towards the NFL draft. It yes. is Obviously, it is an Eagles podcast, uh, and we will talk Eagles. Uh, but, obviously, look, we're talking players, and, and that – uh, can correlate to any team, and that's the, the what I try and hang my hat on. So appreciate you listening, and thanks for leaving that comment. Good one, definitely. All right, up next here, uh, the Scouts Doubt from the Apple Podcast page. Hi, guys. Fran, I was wondering, what is your scouting notes uh, on Nelson Aguilar and how they might compare to Debo Samuel of Maryland? Do you think Nelson has any more room for development? Uh, always been a big fan of his coming out of college. Great work on the podcast. Yeah, so, you know, look, in in – in a way, they're similar, right? Like you look at Nelson out of USC, you look at uh, Debo Samuel out of South Carolina. In a way, similar, but they're different body types. You know, Nelson is probably Certainly. you know he's probably more um, you know probably more wiry, whereas Debo Debo is I mean he lives up to the name. Uh, who by the way he is called Debo after the Friday yes. character. Um, <laughs> Debo, uh, I mean, he is Jack. He is built like a running back. Like I've never seen a receiver with a butt like Debo Samuel, um, and he's the you know from head to toe he he's jacked. So you know you look at Debo Samuel, just a bigger type of body, but uh, two guys that can impact vertically. Maybe not their strength, but can impact vertically. Um, good over the middle of the field. Good returners. Uh, showed the ability to play. Debo played all special teams at U or at South Carolina, whereas Nelson was more. I mean, Nelson was a great returner. We forget Nelson was an outstanding punt returner at USC. Yes. Debo was the same. He was first team uh, all purpose for in the SEC this past year uh, because of his work as a returner. So um, similar in ways, but I think they're kind of different body types. And you asked, you know, does Nelson have any more room for improvement? I talked about this in the last Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. If you go to the, uh, to the I talked with. Um, with the uh, the running back coach from Temple, Gabe Infante, yes. in the beginning. And in the end, we talked about, uh, after that conversation, I got a question about Nelson, and we talked a lot about how, you know, basically his development and what he's looked like over the last two years, how his role changed from 2017 to 2018. So 
without getting too deep into the weeds here, I urge you to go back, go check that podcast out. Even if you just go listen to <laughs> go listen to the last ten minutes of that yeah. podcast, um, just because I got really deep into the weeds there into how I saw Nelson was used. Look, he obviously with Torrey Smith on the on the team in 2017, and with Mike Wallace getting hurt last year. Nelson was used more vertically, and you know the the targets changed. The offense wasn't operating as well throughout the the first you know third of the season, through two thirds of the season. So less targets to go around. Obviously, yep. less plays were were being called. So um, you know I, that's I think that's part why the numbers dropped a little bit with Nelson. But um, you know that's I think we get a lot of questions about oh you know does Nelson where does he need to get better? How does he get back? Nelson's still the same guy that was a key part of that championship team. Yeah, it's just a matter of how he's going to be used no question. by the coaching staff yeah. here. Football's funny that way. It is. It is. And, again, injuries impact what, what nope. roles and what needs you have. And, yep. and Nelson's uh, dynamic and versatile enough that he can be utilized exactly. in a different way. So, uh, next comment here from BJ Pasquale from the Apple Podcast page. Left a five-star review. And he just said Pre- five stars. Five stars. Appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you very much. Uh, write him from the Apple Podcast page. Uh, hey, guys, love the Combine Preview episode. Thank you very much. Awesome intel from Tony Pauline. Curious about Ed Oliver and where he is going to end up. Kind of touched on that a few moments That's ago. Right. Yep. Uh, before the season started, he was mocked number one overall. Now some don't have him in the first round. Would he good? Would he be a good fit for the Eagles? Uh, and then would he be selected over under the 15th pick? Interesting. So the, I got, I, the, where's my list the Falcon, of over-unders? The Falcons are 14. Yes. So that's the great over under. Yes. Um, you know, if you named it at fourteen and a half, uh, I gotta think it's under. He's gonna get drafted higher. Yeah. Uh, I'm taking I'm, now. What, if you're considering the under as before, as before 14, the fourteenth yeah. and a half pick. Yes. Yeah, I would take the under on that. Now, is he a good fifth Eagles? Yes, he is a good fifth Eagles. I am interested to see what he like if if he comes in this week at two sixty. I think you got to say, okay, he's a defensive end. Yes. And that's a, if he comes in this week at 285, 283, 287, yeah, like sign me up. I'm in for Ed Oliver the as question, a defensive tackle. The question becomes what does he play at? What, well, what does he play at? But is there room for him to grow more? Right. Or is he locked in pretty much at that 285? I, I can't imagine that he's going to get up to like. 310. I'm not yeah, – exactly. Right. But can he get closer to 300? Right. I don't know. Yep. That's going to be – that's the big question I would have there. But, yes, sure. it becomes what does he weigh in at and how is he going to be utilized. He's going to be a ridiculous tester. Yep. There's no question about that. Uh, it just becomes like really with the height and weight, you know, where exactly does he best fit along a defensive front. Yep. All right. Sly boogie. All right. This is <laughs> – This was a long comment, which I – Sly – more power Kudos. to you. Appreciate it. it was Kudos awesome. for the comment. All right. Couldn't get the whole thing in. So we're, we're going to kind of go piecemeal here. Uh, has not heard anyone, this is a free agency question, mention Frank Clark. Thinks he would be a huge addition to the defense if he doesn't return. Do we think he'll get tagged? Is he an option? Uh, and this is where the, now you get into the draft part of the discussion. Yeah, so why don't we start, we'll start, we'll start Frank Clark. Um, you, know, you studied – you studied Seattle over the years. I mean, and I, I mean, I, I loved his tape coming out of Michigan. I thought he was a really, really impressive talent. Uh, heavy-handed, re- just a very impressive pass rusher. Um, I was really, really high on him coming out of Michigan. Was not shocked to see him go in the second round of Seattle, even though he did, obviously look he had he had issues you know, off the field issues. 
Um, so that's why he wasn't really talked about going that high. But uh, his talent is very, very good. All right, so next part here, okay. Doesn't think Sly doesn't think we should trade up for a defensive end in this draft class unless it's a no-brainer prospect who is slipping. Fair enough. Uh, seems like the edge rushers are getting grouped together because of the depth of this draft. So, so I get like I get the thought is like, you know, you look. We did. Uh, we have a, a series coming out next week on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and all the Eagles digital channels. Uh, our free agent film room series. So it's myself, Ike Reese, Mike Quick. And we go position by position GCSTs around the NFL. right there, yes. Yep. And we got to the edge rushers. And I'm looking at the group of edge rushers coming out in free agency. It is a long, long list of accomplished pass rushers hitting the open market. In a year where it is a long, <laughs> long list of accomplished pass rushers coming out in the NFL draft. Yeah. I am really, really interested to see how this plays out, like from a market standpoint. Um, how much are these guys going to get paid? Are our teams going to go and try and sign the big money free agents? Are are those going to be the teams that are drafting high in the draft? It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, you know we we talk about all the time when it's just the draft, like oh, like all right, it's a really deep group at tight end this year. Are our teams going to take one high? Or are they going to wait because they know they can get one later? When you throw this free agent class into the mix, like I. We have no idea how this is going to go. It's going to be very, very interesting. So I think that was a, an interesting point that Sly Boogie brought up was, all right, like, you know, I don't think they should trade up for a pass rusher because there's a lot of them in the draft. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you're saying, like, oh, well, if you you can go get a guy like Frank Clark, do you need to even go and address that in the draft? Like, uh, I think that's an, it's an interesting discussion. It goes back to – it depends on your need for the position. Yep. It goes back to your point at the beginning of the show about – you got to make sure you're in position so when you go into the draft, you're not forcing picks. No question. So, obviously, Frank Clark is not going to be a one-year, you know, minimum salary type play. Yeah. You know, that's that's one of the things you got to determine. But from an age production standpoint, you know, Harry Rosen spoke about, again, uh, Brian Brooks and, and Rodney McLeod coming off first contract being in the prime. Frank Clark would fit that, okay? Certainly there's the off-field stuff from his past, but – you know, obviously it was very productive. It's intriguing as to why Seattle would let him go. That's going to be one of the things is they already let Michael Bennett go. Right. Why now Frank Clark in, his, in that situation? I mean, these are just the guys that I included, and I know, like, one guy I left off the list was, like, Clay Matthews. But, and a bunch of these guys are going to get tagged, obviously. Yeah. But Jadavian Clowney, Demarcus Lawrence, Ziggy Ansah, Frank Clark, Trey Flowers, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Cam Wake, Terrell Suggs, Michael Johnson, D. Ford, Dante Fowler, Shane Ray, like yeah, a bunch of guys with high pedigrees, former first-round picks, great combine testers, double-digit sack guys in the NFL, sometimes you know, multi-year double-digit sack guys, future Hall of Famers. Like, it's, a, it's a really, really good group of pass rushers and free agents. By the way, didn't even mention Brandon Graham. No, like, of course. I mean, like, it's a very good group It's a, of it's pass a tough year for those guys to be on the market. It is. That's what it comes down to. So it'll be interesting to see those first few days of free and see will any of them sign and then or is it gonna be, you know, let's bring it to Philly with a Bryce Harper or Mayhem Machado situation. Is there a domino who falls first and exactly. then that kind of sets the tone? Yep. All right, last two, two Twitter questions. two Twitter questions. Twitter questions, yes. Timothy Shover on Twitter wants to know if the Eagles might draft Andre Dillard. You're a big Dillard fan. I'm a big Andre Dillard fan. Uh, from Washington State to eventually replace Jason Peters. So, first it was brought up, Howie and Doug were asked about Jason Peters, and it was like 
the rules of age that typically apply <laughs> to normal human beings don't apply right. to Jason Peters. And Doug kind of lumped Peters and um, Darren Sproles in the same category. If they want the chance to compete, they should be given the chance to compete. I thought Howie came just short of calling Jason Peters an alien. <laughs> pretty, that's pretty much where it was coming. Yeah. That's pretty much where we were going on that one. So it, it's interesting because where does Jordan Mailata fit into the yeah. picture? Okay. Then, and like, like, what is the what is the development plan? Like, what is the arc? What is the like? Where do they think the arc is right now on Jordan Mailata? Correct. And how does Big V play into that? How does and Matt Pryor, Pryor play into that? It was that? interesting that Howie because Howie was specifically asked about Mailata and Vitae, but Howie on his own threw in. They drafted Pryor ahead of Mailata last year. Like. Yes, certainly. So, uh, so it, is it plausible? Yes, but I think it comes into question. What is the growth plan for Mylotta? Yep. Our last question here, Taylor Bolton on Twitter. Uh, watch a bit of Daryl Henderson. Knows that he almost carries the ball in his left hand. Is this normal? Can it be a problem? Taylor, that is quality analysis. That's amazing. Because I have the same note in my, in my do notes. Do you really? And it does have – you do see that every once in a while. Um, it can be coached out. It can be. Some guys never get out of it. Let's go. Let's go to watching the practice tape from the Senior Bowl. Okay. That you noticed with Reichwell Armstead of Temple was consistently holding the ball in the wrong hand. I forgot that I. I forgot that I even noticed that from the from there. You yeah. picked it up right away. That you know there were some tackles he might have been able to. You know that's what it comes arm. down to. Is if you're like okay if you're a running back and you're running a play to the left so to the left sideline you want the ball in your left hand. Because you want your if the if the defender's coming from your right side, you want your right hand free to be able to use it as a stiff arm. We used to say at Temple, use your arm, use your arm as a weapon. So you want <laughs> you want that you want that right arm to be free. It's the same. Of course, if you're, you're going, saying that North Philadelphia well, Temple. Yeah. If you're look I mean, only at Temple, man. <laughs> going to the right side, you want the ball in your right hand. So if you have the ball in your left hand and the defender's coming at you from your left side, you have no way to be able to protect yourself, and you're also exposing the football to you know, a helmet, an arm, a hand to be able to punch it out and potentially create a fumble. So, yes, in short, it, it can be a problem. Yes. It can be coached out depending on the guy. Some guys take that, some guys don't. I've seen guys in the league, and I can't think of one off the top of my head, where that was a problem for them in college and it got fixed. I could see where it was a problem for them in college and it carries through the NFL. Um, so that, that's a, a great note from Taylor. That's, that would be uh, that's intriguing. definitely happens. If there's a guy who maybe had fumbling problems early in his career, was it a result of that being coached out of them? Because that's the other thing of it too. If a guy is not used to switching, you know, if he's not, if he's only used, oh, I take it and I put it in my left hand and I go, and now you're saying no, like you have to take it and you have to be able to switch. But some guys have issues with that, and that's where that creates fumbles, that yeah. creates a lack of ball security. Um, so you got to you got to navigate that. And there's really no way until you get to a game situation. No. Where you have contact. You're not, Tra- you're not, okay, you're not training getting that camp test in camp. To an extent, mm-hmm. but really it's game situations right. where that's going to come to fruition. No doubt. Uh, How long did we go on this one? I don't know. It's tough to tell because we stopped. You got, like, <laughs> yeah, you got to piecemeal this bad boy together. So uh, This was 52 minutes on this one, so we're, we're going to be close to an hour. We're just over an hour. I think, I think, I think we might actually be over, over an hour, which, you know what, hopefully. That you this was the put, big one. This is a big getting combine week. Off and running again. Howie and Doug speaking. Live gossip from 
uh, what's going on from injury standpoint, players competing here, and then also hearing from other coaches and GMs as to what's happening with other teams around the league. So, Can I real, real quick give a quick preview of what's to come next uh, few yeah, days? Yeah, please All right, do. so Thursday's podcast. It, I think that's like my one job here, so yeah. obviously I failed in that regard. Well, no, so, thir- so Thursday's podcast will have uh, kind of like how it was today. We're going to get a lot of juice from Tony Pauline tomorrow yes. because tomorrow – uh, is the big they'll give for a little inside baseball. Tomorrow's the big agent meeting. And so basically all the agents all get together and they do all their agent stuff. But uh, then all the reporters and everybody they're all they're gonna they're all gonna be hanging out. Sharks there. in the water. And now the agents and the and the reporters all meet and that's where all the buzz starts coming out. So uh, hopefully tomorrow with Tony we'll get a lot of buzz um, you know for the show. Fr- that we'll also start to preview what we're expecting to see Friday. Then Friday we will have seen drills from the uh, the uh, offensive lineman and running back, so we'll react to that, and we'll start previewing the next day, which will be quarterback, receiver, tight end. And now we're rolling, and we're going to be each day we'll be re- recapping what we saw out on the field of Lucas Oil, what we heard from media days because the players will be speaking, mm-hmm. and giving a little bit of a preview to the next day's action. So that'll be the formula for the next few days. And then uh, so we'll have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We won't do a show Monday. We'll be back Tuesday from the NovaCare Complex. Exactly. So, again, this is the time. If you haven't already subscribed, if you don't have automatic alerts as to when the new podcast episodes drop, now is the time, no matter where you listen to podcasts, and make sure to rate and review, leave a comment, because as we showed in the mailbag, those are the questions that get answered first. So, Fran, phenomenal job as always. Can't wait to get the action rolling here the rest of the week in Indianapolis. So, for Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Journey to Draft podcast here on the Philadelphia Eagles channel. We'll be back tomorrow.